You got to lean with it and rock with it. <laughs> I've been doing this. Yeah, I'm I've just been doing talent. This. I've been okay. doing the pivot yeah. around this point. Yeah, you pivot. Yeah, I know. That's what I was doing. This is Hard Reset, a series about rebuilding our world from scratch. Hello and welcome to the Hard Reset Podcast. I'm Nick Tucker. This is Taylor Hamilton. Hi. We are the co-creators of Hard Reset, which is a show that allows us to ask the question of what if we rebuilt the world from scratch? And we like to go and focus on the ideas, the technologies, and the people who might make that possible to rebuild that world from scratch. We're joined today by Rob Chapman-Smith. Hi, I'm the editor-in-chief of Freethink. And Toby Morishano. Hey, I'm the community manager at Freethink. So this episode of the podcast, we're going to talk about Zooks and their plans to build an autonomous taxi service. And it's one of the most interesting companies we've profiled. We really love what they're doing with transportation, and we're really excited to, to talk about it in more in-depth. We think this has a really huge potential to transform society, and we are excited to dive in deeper, talk about the things we couldn't talk about in the episode, and answer some of the audience questions that we received. So stick around, make sure you like and subscribe, and we're looking forward to diving in. The first question is, why is this a hard reset? Well, I think there are two big things here. So there is the idea of what is a car, right? And uh, we have this conception of what a car is where it's like there's a steering wheel and there's like two rows and the driver sits on the left and the, well, or on the wrong side if you're you in, know, in the UK, you sit or, on the wrong, wrong side of the car. Yeah. yeah. And they, you know, what Zooks said was blank sheet of paper. If we're going to make an autonomous vehicle, what is the best way of making an autonomous vehicle as opposed to starting off with like a car and then you're trying to make some kind of version of it that is kind of autonomous, but not autonomous. So they have done just that and a hard reset on what is a vehicle? Why, why does it need to exist and what is it supposed to do? Yeah. And I make the mistake of calling it a car quite frequently, even though they very vehemently would correct me every time and say, oh, it's a vehicle. It's a vehicle. This is a car. This is not a car. Okay, I guess it's a vehicle. It's a vehicle, it's not a, vehicle. a car. It's not a car. Yeah, um, and it is in many ways one of the most hard reset episodes we did because they really did start from the ground up designing yeah. this thing. And we can get into this a little bit later, but I think the second hard reset is really what happens at scale here. Mm -hmm. And what does that do to the urban landscape um, more broadly? Well, how, most of what we have in the United States in terms of how cities look and how they operate is predicated on the proliferation of cars. Right. And how we have highways and the suburbs and all these things. Parking spaces, Parking spaces. driveways, the way, everything. So much of the way we design cities, suburbs, <laughs> everything is built around cars. It's crazy when you yeah. really look at it. And so the idea is, well, if you could have a lot of autonomous vehicles and you could really reduce car, personal car ownership by a sizable margin, then what happens to all those parking lots? What happens to the urban landscape? I mean, and, and also the suburbs, and how does this transform all of these aspects? I mean, it's a real hard reset on what we think of as the built environment. Yeah, for sure. One of the big questions we always try to tackle is scale and feasibility, is this real? And this was, 
what was so exciting about this was that we actually got to go and get inside these and see them. And we weren't able to be in it while it was running because of liability issues, but we were able to film inside of it by setting up a camera to film remotely inside. I was just really excited to see this in real life and yeah. make sure that this was actually not vaporware. Yeah. And it was exciting to be around these things. It was cool to see them working and they work so differently from how you expect a car to work. We make a little bit of a big deal about it with the crab steering, where the wheels don't have to just turn in one direction. They can turn in parallel, and it can slide over and do all sorts of crazy things. It really makes you rethink everything you know about how you might get around. It's really fascinating. Yeah, and they talk about these vehicles being bi-directional, so right. that they can go forward and backwards, or backwards and forwards, depending on your perspective. Yeah, there's no forwards. <laughs> there's no front or back. It's, yeah. it's amazing. Yeah, exactly. So if the the vehicle is going down an alleyway and dropping someone off, you know, you're not doing some weird three-point Austin Powers-esque turn. I've never been able to do a three-point turn in three points. <laughs> <laughs> it's always like a four or five-point turn. Yeah, let's just, let's just flip this around. Right. And that's super interesting. Yeah, for sure. I'm curious what everyone's biggest doubt is to play like devil's advocate, because at the end of the day, these may not work. And these sorts of technologies, well, I think eventually will happen. Is Zooks really the one to do it? I mean, I think that people are very unforgiving of robots. Right. Mm -hmm. So even if they're, I mean, remember when Uber was doing all these like test drives and everything like that, and then the, the car, quote unquote, killed a person, right. right? And it just shut all that stuff down. And yet every day there's just... A, hundreds, thousands of deaths that happen all over the world because of cars, right? And right. because of how people drive them. And, but, you know, if a robot, if like all these vehicles exist and, you know, there are 5,000 people dying every year, like that feels like it's going to be pretty unacceptable to society, even though we currently have 50,000 people in the United States dying every year because of vehicles. Yeah. Cars. It feels like if you had a technology that you could implement in cars that could cut the amount of traffic deaths in half, we would clamor for that. For sure. But if you say, hey, I have a new kind of car, but it's going to kill 1,000 people a year, which is a 50th of what we kill right now, 2%, people would be very upset about that. Yes. Yeah. I'm curious when we're going to be able to see that data in real life. Like, at one point, are we able to look at, you know, whether it's Tesla or some other company that has an auto driving program and be like, okay, it's gone 100,000 miles and it you know, has an average of one accident. Whereas when people are driving it with manual control, they have an average of five accidents or whatever the numbers are. I think that'll be more compelling than when it's just theoretical, you know? Right. Yeah, I think we're starting to see some of those things. You get to see some of those reports as, I mean, specifically with Tesla, as they've been uh, having their uh, self-driving beta testing uh, happening, but it's not enough mm -hmm. miles to really be, like, a meaningful sample size at the moment. I also don't know if data is the thing that's going to get people here. Right. Because I, I wonder if some of this is just psychological in terms of just like people really like agency and Americans mm. really love their agency. <laughs> yes. And and uh, that just giving up that feeling of control um, is a huge barrier for folks. And that's where my skepticism of Zooks comes in, where it's like it, it's such a hard pivot to just like no agency at all. Right. <laughs> that I, I don't know 
about a wide adoption rate uh, for in, in some sense. But if you start to think about autonomous vehicles more of a, like a co-pilot thing, you're probably going to see wider adoption through that, which is why probably like right. Tesla's strategy is is a pretty good one. The only reason why I don't like fully buy into my skepticism is that they're they're treating it as a taxi service, and like a taxi service is something that you order. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you're, you're purposely doing it. It's like nobody's forcing it upon you, right? Right type of thing. It's not going to be mandated from the state that this is the only vehicles that are allowed on the road. And in that sense, like if it is more convenient or more pleasurable, or it's just like a luxury thing, and then that trickles down because it starts to get more like just people start to like it more. That could be cool. If you look at Uber, the first version of Uber was all Uber black, right? right. Hella expensive, hella expensive. Versus now, it's like all over the place in order for you to order Uber. And hopefully, Zooks can get to that. Scale. Well, I think you just said it right there, right? It is, you have this agency and my moral philosophy around X, Y, Z, but like if something is cheaper yeah. and or more convenient, that's usually going to win out. Mm -hmm. right. I lived in San Francisco and I had a car and was, you know, driving it around and paying gas and paying for the clutch to get replaced and, you know, trying to find parking for 20 minutes every time I wanted to, like, come home. And then sidecar and then Uber and then Lyft came around and it was like, I don't need this car anymore. Right. It's more convenient for me to use these services. I think a lot of people started to have that mentality in San Francisco of just like, well, I, I don't need to actually have a personal car. And that started to shift mentalities around what that is. So I'm curious to see what that happens with that at scale. The thing I'm most skeptical about is actually how municipalities mm. will right. work with Cruz and Zooks and Waymo over this. It seems like what Uber did was it just kind of broke a lot of things and, <laughs> and hurt a lot of feelings and caused a lot of, you know, pain for a lot of mayors and whatnot. And so that actually led to where we are now, where it seems like, you know, whether it's Vegas or um, was it Waymo's in, in Arizona and Phoenix, right? Mm -hmm. um, that they're actually working kind of hand in hand together in order to make this happen. The most incredible feat to me is that they're managing to test this in San Francisco, which is like the most regulated <laughs> place in the world. You can't put up a duplex without going through a multi-year process or start an ice cream store, but they've got self-driving driverless vehicles just on the streets. And I'm like, how do yeah, you Yeah, what's the expression? You can be naked on the bus, but you can't make a left turn in San Francisco. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, I mean, part of it is, part of it is that the companies that are making this technology are based in and around San Francisco. Right. So I think that there's just kind of like that entrenched interest. But also, San Francisco is seven by seven miles. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so it's a pretty small city when it comes down to it. And so it's actually really great for it. You know, we haven't got into like the Tesla versus Zooks debate, which we should definitely get into. But I think one of the things that we kind of gloss over in the episode that's actually really important here is that Zooks and Cruz are like mapping 100 mm percent these cities. And they're like, OK, you know, this block is this long and this, you know, happens over here. Like they're they're sending out these Toyota Highlanders and just doing very, very detailed maps so that it's almost kind of like a like a track, essentially. Mm -hmm. They're turning the city into a track so that when the vehicles are going around and using cameras and LIDAR, there's also this very detailed information that is it's going with that. Yeah. Tesla doesn't have that. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. So you can just go kind of wherever you want to go and like hopefully the cameras just work. 
Right. They're both a little bit terrifying at some level, right? Like, does does the car work without the map in, in, inside? and the, Or does the car just go crazy? Like, there's all sorts of things about these that I think sort of raise the hairs on the back of my neck. But at the same time, they are probably both much safer than, say, a 16-year-old version of me driving. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I like the analogy here of comparing it to taking a, you know, riding in a plane. Right. And I think even Jesse talks about, you know, multiple points of failure. Mm -hmm. Right. With their vehicles, you have cameras, you have LiDAR, you have, like, the Google Maps that they're using, they have the maps that they're also using. So you have all this information so that if something isn't working for, you know, either the hardware reason or it's raining outside, that they're able to use some of the other technology in order to continue to work. But, I mean, like, in just bought a new Tesla Y and like they don't have the sensors anymore. Like the same with sensor arrays that they did in the previous year's versions. They're right. really relying on cameras. So it's just fewer and fewer inputs that are gonna keep you safe. Right. So where is this headed now? Where's this gone since the episode aired? Yeah, so they're starting to offer this. They're working with, I think, believe in Vegas on the Strip is their yeah. first implementation of it. So they're starting oh, to cool. roll this out, and which is the perfect place to do it. Mm-hmm. Super dense and very relatively small place. Right. So it's a great place to implement it, um, and they seem to be. A, it seems to be working. It's also a place where you know, we're talking about like the luxury experience of Uber Black, like the luxury experience of being in Vegas, going to some like ridiculous event that you know some. St- star who's got a residency there and you get into a car that's or a vehicle that's driving down the street and nobody else is in there but you right like that's kind of dope yeah and i think lyft was in vegas before with uh they've been a partnership with aptive so mm-hmm. vegas has been used before and the boring tunnel i think was <laughs> yeah and um cruise who's one of their competitors uh is in san francisco and like they're i, I think you can sign up right you can now. now sign up i'm actually I'm waiting to to do a trial ride with cruise yeah it, it's actually kind of crazy how like there was a period when self-driving cars felt very theoretical and we're approaching the point where self-driving cars are just a thing that is going to be ubiquitous it's like it's kind of already ubiquitous now it's yeah. still like unevenly distributed but it, it, it's there right in a way and it I, I felt like it wasn't celebrated as a moment <laughs> of like, hey, we kind of figured this out, y'all. Yeah. Well, I think that's because there's, <laughs> there's a lot of media companies like ours that are like publishing videos and articles right. about this, you know, multiple times per month. And like, if you look at it on kind of like a day-to-day basis, progress feels like a little bit slow. Right. But if you're kind of zooming out, you're like, okay, where were we five years ago? Right. Yeah. And it's like, oh, wow, we've made leaps and bounds worth of, of difference here. Yeah. And I think one of the other things that's super interesting about this um, from Jesse's point of view is how much data do they mm-hmm. actually need in order for this to be effective? And he basically talked about how there's like, at a certain point, you kind of have the data that you need in order right. to program these things properly. Right. And they've reached that point. Yeah. One thing I always think of is video calling, which was like <laughs> the thing of the future for decades, right. you know, 50s sci-fi. And then in the 90s, it happened, but it was crappy with like the ConnectX Quick Cam and sort of like these primitive versions. So it existed, but people didn't really care. And then all of a sudden, everyone had it with Zoom, with Google Hangouts, with Skype. And there wasn't one big moment with fireworks. It was just like, oh, 
I guess we're doing this now. I guess this has gone from this fringe kind of yeah. clunky thing to something that's seamless and taken for granted. And I wonder if, you know, dis despite the fact that we're in this sort of beta period, there will eventually, you know, in X number of years, just be a, a case where you can just go in and most things will be self-driving or you'll have the option to call a self-driving taxi and that'll just be that. Yeah. I think what's really going to be special with regards to this, if it reaches, you know, full adoption is that our cities are going to look radically different, right? Like you're going to look at a, a picture of LA, you know, with <laughs> like autonomous vehicles and see a ton of parks and a lot more, you know, use of the space that is like really beneficial towards people. And the pandemic was like a really great way of people prototyping, you know, slow streets and parklets and other ways of using the space that we have and autonomous vehicles give us like a lot of room to play with that. Yeah. I love the fact that we, we take infrastructure from outdated <laughs> institutions and repurpose it in a fun way. Yeah. I'm thinking about like the High Line mm. in, in New York where it's like there's a train that ran down through the meatpacking district and we don't need that train anymore. So now it's a great public park that people can experience. They've done some s similar things in Chicago where they've taken old elevated track lines and turned them into walking paths. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a really exciting prospect of this, of like if we can drive congestion down to the point that we don't need all this massive infrastructure there's still really great creative uses out there that could be, you know, this can open the door to. And I'm, I'm excited to see what those are. Yeah, I think that there's going to continue to be pushback against this idea because this notion that we have, especially in America, of like what a car means and like right. the wind in your hair and driving <laughs> and freedom on the road and like pretty much every car commercial that you see is like, there's someone that's zipping down the road and, you know, like having a great time and like cornering really well. I mean, they shoot all these things in San Francisco, like Marin <laughs> with a closed track. Right. But the reality of driving is you listening to a great podcast like this, like and subscribe, <laughs> and sitting in traffic. Right. And that experience sucks. Yeah. It's or just, driving on a freeway, wishing you were already with the air. Yeah. Yeah. And so what happens if you can get rid of that? I mean, that's that's pretty interesting. Yeah. So I've I've read the user comments which are kind of like a teacher's edition of skepticism. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Wonderful. You have the answer key. Um yeah, and those things definitely come up. Um and I think it's interesting because uh on one level it's a hard reset for the the actual vehicle itself. On the other hand, at scale as a transportation system and you know then the knock-on effects on our cities and stuff like that. But also by positioning themselves as we want to end personal car ownership, not just we want you to have another option, Right. then they also kind of invite that skepticism of like, but then if you're going to completely replace cars, how does it work in snow? Right. How does it work in a rural area that's not a city at all? Right. How does it work in, you know, so you, you, you're you're putting yourself out there and you're aiming high, but you're also then implicitly putting yourself on the hook for all of these details that you might not think if you're just running a taxi service in a city. Yeah. Well, the question is, can you reduce personal car ownership by, I don't know, 90%? Mm -hmm. And so that 10% becomes like very specific and very meaningful. And sometimes you probably will need a car. Mm -hmm. Right. Like that's your own. But where I think this gets really interesting is when you can start to have a lot of different use cases and people 
thinking about these autonomous vehicles as really platforms. I mean, there's a company that I think is in Israel that is literally just making autonomous yeah. vehicles that are like four wheels and like a board. <laughs> and they're like, you put whatever you want on this board. And so a lot of the futurists I've been thinking about, you know, well, what happens if you have retail shops that are sitting on top of these things? You know, yeah. what does this mean for parents that have to, like, load all these, like, strollers and all these other things? Can you right. have, like, a, a special purpose vehicle that is just for these different discrete purposes? Yeah, well, I mean, that was one of the use cases that I can relate to the most that is skeptical of the self-driving car model and self-driving taxi model is, as a parent, if you have to, like, schlep all of your, you know, strollers and diaper bag and all the other kind of paraphernalia you need when you're moving a child around, a toddler around the city. Like, could you do this with a, a taxi service? It would be kind of a pain in the butt. I don't know if I, I agree with that. I mean, one of the other episodes that we'll, we'll cover is on, um, you know, we feature Copenhagen. And mm -hmm. we talk about it being like a very much like a, a bike city where right. the citizens there have just said like, you know what, we're, we're going to take a bike for most of these. No. And so for them and their kids, they're just like, okay, we're going to have these bikes that don't look like most other bikes are going to have these like, like little Traders, trunks yeah. that are either in front or back of the like the bicycle, and that's where I'm going to fit that stuff. Right. I mean, how many diapers does your kid need, Nick? At this point, <laughs> only a few. No. Uh, <laughs> at this point, none. But but I, I do remember as a parent of a, of a toddler having a lot of stuff to, to to carry around, and you know you you look at your public transportation options. They're not great for that. Like having to put all this on the bus. You look at putting it in and out of a taxi, that's not great. You look at biking, and that has some appeal, except you live in a city that's mostly cars, and you're riding around with your toddler in traffic, and that's very nerve-wracking. And we hadn't quite, and I don't think in San Francisco we've yet reached the critical mass where I would feel like, oh, well, there's enough bikers doing this that I wouldn't feel like I'm putting my child at undue risk. Mm. Well, I think, so I think, I think we're, what, I, what I was going to finish with that is that we need to get to that critical mass in mm -hmm. some of these places, and I think this is a technology that can get us there. Yeah. I think one of the points that you made in one of the other autonomous vehicle uh, things that we did for uh, Uprising is that, you know, when the car was invented, no one was thinking about a drive-through. Right. But that there are all these things that came as a result of, right. of cars being invented, and we don't even know what those are. So yeah. I think about something like Airbnb coming out, you know, 10, 10-ish years ago. Right. And, you know, being like a little bit, you know, like a little bit sketchy depending on where you're going. And like, you know, and now you can filter on Airbnb for, I want to make sure that this place that I'm going to has a stroller and has a high chair and has like all these things that are within the Airbnb. So I think you're going to see a lot more businesses pop up that are going to be able to say like, yeah, just come in your autonomous vehicle. Like we already have your kid's bike and diaper bag and whatever else already right. here. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, yeah, I think some of this is, is a business model issue more so than anything else. So if like there's a couple of access, uh, a couple points of emphasis with things like parents that I think about, where it's like, one, I re need reliable access to a vehicle because my kids have a lot of schedules. Well, that sounds like a subscription service to me, right? right? And then, okay, if I and if I can pick which amenities I need in that vehicle, that's that seems like just like a UX problem, like right. and an interface, like I make sure I'm able to order that type of stuff. And so I think there's ways around it, but we got to get to the point where these things are on the road first, and people are are doing these regularly in order right. to solve those types of things. But right. I don't think it's impossible it's just might take a little bit of use use trial and error and user cases in order to get there yeah for sure didn't zooks get bought by amazon 
I believe that's correct, yeah. Oh, okay. Well, shit, they're going to do it at scale. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and in between rides, they're going to drop off packages. Yeah. Well, I actually do wonder if they would use it for delivery. Like, because so... Well, I mean, if that's Amazon's first case and they're going to get rid of delivery drivers, and if you think about it from the standpoint of they've had a bunch of problems, like delivery drivers are pissing in bottles and the working conditions aren't very great, if, like, their immediate first step is, like, well, we're going to zooks all your packages now right. as a thing. Or just have the driver in the back just well, yeah. walking out yeah. with, yeah. you know, they don't have to drive, then they can be more productive, you know? Yeah, I, I, I wish I trusted Amazon to make better choices about, like, how <laughs> this is going to be rolled out. Um, I'm dubious. Yeah. I'm yeah, not against it necessarily, but yeah, I'm curious to see how it works out. And to be clear, my understanding from the talking with like the two of the heads of Zooks is that like Amazon isn't really meddling in their business. Right. right. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. One other thing that I think is really important about this is the social aspect to it. Looking at how um, Uber, for better or for worse, has done some interesting things in terms of making transportation more equitable. And there were neighborhoods taxis wouldn't go to, right? right? And there were people who they wouldn't stop for. And Uber definitely didn't fix that, but it made some serious headway. And I really liked Aisha's point that this is a transportation service that is intended to bridge those gaps. Yes. And you look at communities in like the outer boroughs of New York where buses won't go very reliably, taxis aren't going to go there, and they rely on things like these jitney van services to get people to and from Manhattan where they work. How is this going to like radically impact the quality of life for people in these areas where they have a serious need for these sorts of transportation services and no one's been willing to treat them well? And, and the few people who have have been kind of muscled out by the taxi unions and the right. uni drivers unions and things like that. So I'm excited to see how this addresses social inequity in a big way. I'm curious what the audience thought about Very this topic. <laughs> and Taylor pro, pro Elon people. Yeah. Um, what was it? Yeah. What were the comments we got, uh, and what were the questions that they felt we didn't answer well? Well, it was interesting because we had, like, this is a very popular video. It's got almost a million views, and you had different waves of comments. You had... On just YouTube? Come on. <laughs> on don't just sell, YouTube. Don't sell ourselves short. All right. We also have Facebook. Yeah. Um, you really want to read those comments? <laughs> <laughs> There's definitely a hierarchy in common quality between the different platforms. It was interesting because there were times when you'd see it go viral among, like, you know, people who are Tesla fans, and you got a bunch of comments about Tesla or uh, among people who are more urbanists and you got more comments about cities and the implications for cities um, and stuff like that. Uh, I would say, okay, so there were a lot of comments, a lot of provoking ones. Most people liked it. That was definitely the most common, common one. But in the vein of what I was saying about people being skeptical and what we're all talking about, um, People are skeptical of things like particularly icy conditions, rural areas, emergency situations, you know, um, and like, is this going to work in every scenario that I need it to? Is it realistic? Um, and, you know, am I, am I, am I going to trust it too? Right. I think those are valid concerns, but I also think they're valid concerns of human drivers. <laughs> I mean, right. let's be honest, driving in icy conditions when you are a human is not a good idea either. Like, if it's too dangerous to drive, you shouldn't be driving if you're not a computer either. So I, 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 I've, I think uh, the technology 
isn't necessarily ready to maneuver in all of the different traffic uh, conditions we could conceivably see. But I don't think that it won't ever be. I, there's no reason it couldn't be at some point. But I also think humans don't have a great track record here on most of these things either. Yeah, I think when people think about their own driving ability, <laughs> they think of themselves as better drivers than they actually are. Mm -hmm. And they think about themselves as drivers that are like, paying attention mm -hmm. and most times people are like under caffeinated yeah. or have been drinking or super sleepy or texting or not paying attention or the or sun's in my eyes listening to an awesome podcast yeah <laughs> exactly and so they're not you know fully committed i mean even one of the things i thought was incredibly interesting about what zooks is doing is they were talking about you know when you look over your shoulder to either try to like check out your blind spot or reverse that you have two eyes. So you're not looking at the rest of the space. <laughs> right. Whereas yeah. Zooks is just like, okay, we'll just have like, you know, 20 cameras here. And right. so it's going to look 360 all the time. Mm -hmm. How do you compete with that as yeah. a human driver? Yeah. It's interesting with the AI and learning, you know, if you have computers learning how to drive better on snow or under snowy conditions and then sharing that knowledge instantly with every other car right. vehicle in the world. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that's incredible. I mean, you could imagine getting very quick, very quickly. And I think also it's probably worth disambiguating just the specific design of the original Zooks right. with, you know, something that could be heavier duty or have, you yeah. know, well, thicker yeah. tires. I'm or sure whatever. there will be different models for different terrains and things yeah. like that. Yeah. The emergency response one is one, though, that I hadn't thought about. And I don't think about it in emerging response of, like, I'm in an emergency because I'm calling 911. But, like, what is coming to help me? Mm -hmm. And what is that vehicle? Like, you know, anytime police or ambulances or fire trucks, they're like barreling down the street. How do you do that with an autonomous vehicle? I mean, you can make it go faster, but like how do you just deal with something like that? Right. Yeah, I mean, I think there's interesting love opportunities for coordination with autonomous vehicles you can't get with human vehicles. That's fair. Where That's fair. Yeah, if 50% or 80% of our vehicles were autonomous and EMS needs access it's much easier for them because right. suddenly 80% of the traffic flow can just yield right. and that fire truck can get where it needs to go. Hmm. Whereas now everyone's like, I am the fireman's escort. Right. I will be racing it through this. Right. Like, like, no, please calm down and move to the right. Like, yeah. just get out of the way. Yeah. And you just don't have to worry about that unreliability with robots. There is a video of this uh, autonomous car. I don't know exactly where, but it was driving down the street and police tried to pull it over. And it was just like this cat and mouse game between police and this car. And it would pull over, but then it would pull away. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, and to address the rural part of that, that comment, you know, conceivably it is going to be much easier for these vehicles to operate in rural communities than it is in the urban landscape, right? There's right. just way fewer variables, right? right? You're going to have like fewer streets and fewer other cars and bikes that are they're having to navigate and you could have at scale just like a you know I, I go to my wife's hometown and it's like you know 10,000 people there so there's like three people that drive for uber right so like you better hope that you catch someone if you're trying to do an uber right. whereas they could put out a fleet of 40 cars or 40 vehicles that are autonomous just waiting Right. Yeah. Right. Why not? They're, yeah. they're not paying a human. They're just chilling there. One of the things that we gloss over with regards to this episode and is also kind of gets into the Tesla thing is that these vehicles are expensive. They right. wouldn't tell us how much they cost, but like 
they might cost a million, two million dollars to make, right? They won't tell us. Yeah, right. So let's say they cost a million dollars each to make, right? The level of like components right. and technology and quality of that technology and hardware that is going into this is just at that level versus like a Tesla where it's like, you know, the cost of Tesla costs $60,000. Right. And so that's about the, the build quality that you're going to have there. And so I say all that to say that I think part of the reason that they're in urban environments right now is that they need to try to make these things profitable and mm -hmm. that there are more people and they're going to be able to service these very relatively few vehicles that they have in a smaller, like a physical area with a larger population. Yeah, and return on investment for this has to come a lot quicker than you could probably do in a small community. Yeah. Right. But, you know, if you look at a small community, I grew up in town with about 1,200 people, which is really small. There was no public transportation. Right. You had mm -hmm. to walk, and you would walk a mile or so to the store and things like that, and that was fine. But what would it have meant if we had five of these and you could summon it with a mobile phone and move people around? How many people would have not needed a car or could have taken that, that to a local transit hub to take a train somewhere or a bus somewhere? Mm -hmm. So I do think there are opportunities to provide public transportation solutions that are much more affordable and small than, you know, a city bus service. Um, so smaller communities can have reliable public transportation where they couldn't otherwise afford it when these sorts of services become available at scale. I think another thing that, you know, people talking about ambulances made me remember, I at one point drove for Uber hmm. and left. And anyone who was... In fact, you, you have a ride waiting for you. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Uber or Lyft, which, which one? Both. Which one's your preference to drive Lyft. for? Okay. Mm. Yeah. But pretty much anyone who's done that for any amount of time will tell you they have also been an ambulance driver <laughs> because right. people who need an ambulance are like, fuck, I don't want to pay $2,000 or, you know, maybe who knows how long. It, it could be quicker to get an Uber or Lyft than it could get be to get an ambulance. So... Well, there's you know, a I lot, of, lot of space in these to deliver a baby. <laughs> <laughs> so I think, I think it's, it's necessary to consider it on a systems level, you know, as well as an individual level. I think some people look at the video and they're defensive about their car and they're thinking, like, what about this scenario where I need, you know, an ambulance? You need to look at it at a higher level where it's like, are we getting more people to the hospital faster and more affordably with this? And I think probably, yeah. Yeah, one of the things, I mean, this was one of the most fun and coolest episodes to like to film it. Like when we got the approval to go film with it, I was just like kid in a candy store because it feels like the future, right? Like mm -hmm. you're just like, what kind of sci-fi experience? You know, you don't even have to pay me for this. You have to pay me to do this. But um, <laughs> if you look at all the drone shots that we took inside their factory, there's like four stations yeah. and they're all, it's very like handmade right now. We right. even commented on it in the video, right? They're making these things very slowly right now and they're testing these things very slowly right now. Right. There will be a point where these things are on an assembly line and they're just like cranking them out. Right. Right. And that's like the kind of scale that we're talking about. I mean, it's, they're trying to, I don't think they want to be like uh, all the lime scooters where they just, <laughs> they don't want to be like disposable, disposable yeah. crap like that. But the idea is that, yeah, you have five Zooks cars or five cruise cars like all in a row and they're ready to be deployed wherever yeah. in the city. So this is actually something that came up in the comments quite a bit too, which is, if you are in an area with Lime scooters, you know people trash them. Yes. So, like, 
what if people trash these? What if they do sketchy stuff? What if, you know? Well, Vegas is a good place to test that out. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, they have cameras inside of these as well. Yeah. They're not just outside. And so they're able to, and they, they've... And presumably if you have a phone that summoned said car, that phone is linked to your identity in some way. So yeah. if you walk into, if you're able to use a phone that summons this car and you trash it, you're not exactly not leaving a trail of <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think Uber and Lyft have, like, the rating system for a reason, right? Mm -hmm, and, like, right. you can get kicked off those platforms if you trash it. Mm -hmm. The One of the things that I thought was really interesting in terms of, like, actually sitting in one of these is, like, the seats, they don't really feel like, you know, like, a, you know, sitting in a Mercedes-Benz, like, luxury seat. <laughs> they feel much more like sitting on, like, the BART or, oh, you, really? know, you know, or, like, a, a subway or something like They're that. They're not making these out of things that are super absorbent. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, these things are designed to be cleaned. Yeah. <laughs> It wouldn't surprise me if you just took one hose in and water sort of sluices around and cleans things. You know, it'd be, it, everything felt like fairly hard plastic, a little bit, you know, it was, you know, it was comfortable, but it wasn't like, I'm going to relax here. For which, which I really appreciate because, like, living in the Bay Area, you know, we have the, the BART system where they decide to make everything out of, like, foam and cotton and stuff. Oh, and so you're gross. sitting in those and you're just like... What what is soaking inside of this? Like <laughs> what what has happened here, and what am I yeah. now sitting in? Yeah, and I I appreciate the impulse they had of like, oh, it'll be so soft and organic and nice and comfortable, and like it probably was for about eight minutes. No, I want something that looks like it it can be bleached easily. Yes. Yeah, and has yeah. been recently. I've yeah. never been so appreciative of SEPTA in Philly. Like it, <laughs> oh, that sounds so terrible. Yeah. <laughs> Another sort of maybe related question is that people were worried that this would make us too reliant on tech companies. So, like, if we're dependent... You already are. <laughs> <laughs> they type uh, that their phone in their sailed. pocket. By, by the way, uh, this got posted to YouTube, which is owned by Google. So, you know, there's that, right? <laughs> people play Squidge, they want that independence. They want to feel like I can go somewhere car is the symbol of freedom without having to rely on big tech to take me there and having to pay big tech and having to worry if they'll kick me off the platform. Yeah, I mean... Sure. I, if, if, if Ford isn't a technology company, <laughs> right. GM yeah. isn't a technology company, yeah. like, what is your definition of technology mm -hmm. if it doesn't include a car mm -hmm. and the <laughs> large companies that manufacture them? It's definitely... I get where they're saying... They're, I get what they're saying, but... It's, they're not examining the complete picture. There's, they're having a very selective definition of what a tech company is. Yeah, I also think it's, you know, I, I understand their ambition to get rid of personal car ownership, but it's not going to happen. No. Right? Like, it's, in, uh, I think the job of a CEO is to have unreasonable goals <laughs> uh, in some respect. But you're still going to be able to buy a car. And you can still go and go all live off the grid if you want. Nobody's going to outlaw that or, yeah. or stop that. So I think to some extent... I, th I think you might, some folks might be trying to take that goal a little bit too literally. Yeah. Um, uh, when it comes to this. So. Yeah. And, and I think there will always be a car owner opportunity. I think you will always be able to own a car. But I, I honestly hope it's much smaller. And I honestly hope that the licensing requirements get much stricter. Mm -hmm. I think about like what it takes to become a pilot. Mm -hmm. and what it takes to become a car driver. And right. I think I wish one was more like the other. I wish <laughs> it was a lot harder to get the license to drive. Mm -hmm. And there's a reason it's so accessible because everyone needs it to participate in the modern economy. You kind of need to have a driver's license. But what if you didn't? Mm -hmm. 
that would, I think, create less pressure on that system and allow those licensing requirements to be a lot more uh, safe, let's be honest. At the end of the day, this comes down to safety. Mm -hmm. We license people because we don't want just anyone driving a 2,000-pound death machine through the city. We want people to be a little bit more responsible. But I, I do think that personal car ownership is just one of these ways that we communicate our identity, yeah. who we are. Oh, for sure. Like what we value, how much money we make, what we think is cool and what is important to like the world. You know, like if you say I'm a Ferrari owner. I mean some. <laughs> That means something, yeah. right? You're gonna like instantly be like, oh, well, you like this, and blah, 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 and you let blah, 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 blah. You get rid of personal car ownership, I don't know what happens. I mean, I find it interesting that the United States, like the number one, two, three, four cars that are sold like the most are usually pickup trucks. Mm. Yeah. And I'm just like, I, I look on the road and I'm just like, I rarely see anyone uh, hauling anything in those pickup trucks, right? Right. So it's just much more about like, you know, I'm the kind of person that like, mm. you know. Could. Could. I could, <laughs> I could help you move. I won't. <laughs> <laughs> I want the lifted pickup Zooks. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I mean, yes, I think cars can be a, a vehicle for expression as well as a vehicle for transportation. But a lot of cars are not. Mm. A, most cars. You, if you drive on the field, you're like, Appliance, 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 appliance. This is, oh, expression. Appliance, right. appliance, mm -hmm. appliance, appliance. Like, nobody is, it is, you know, like, driving around that incredibly ordinary-looking car with no a aesthetic value to it and leaning grumpily over the steering wheel being like, this is who I am. <laughs> this is what <laughs> defines me. Um, and I don't think, and I think th those folks won't miss that ride from home from work in their not a great car that is not a, the Ferrari owner is not going away. All right. It'll, you'll still get that Ferrari and it might be an electric Ferrari. It might not be. So you drive a Subaru. Yeah. What is that? What does that say about you? Is that an appliance? It's an appliance. But the fact that you think about that as an appliance and you're the kind of person that thinks about a personal car like that. There's a six inch gouge in the side of my car. <laughs> well, that, that says something about you. But I, that you I have don't a six care. inch hole in your sock right now. No, these socks don't have holes. But <laughs> <laughs> socks that holes. But like my car to me is a utility. I don't want the frills. I want it to be reliable. I want it to do the thing, which is usually haul gear around, and I want it to just work all the time. But that says a lot about your identity. Yeah. And this has been therapy with Nicholas. <laughs> <laughs> but I Nick so like I went game. for that most ordinary, reliable car that I knew was like gonna work in a lot of different conditions. It wasn't fancy. And because, and frankly, I, the Subaru side of it, like, I don't care. Like, it could be a Ford Transit Connect. It could be a, you know, a Sprinter van. It could be a pickup truck with a shell on it. Like, I, I don't care because I, I use it a lot for these very utilitarian purposes. I, I, I think I agree with Taylor. It says a lot about you. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm not saying it doesn't, but yeah. I don't think it says much less of me if I say, you know what, gosh, if I can have a robot haul my shit around, I would much rather do that and it, not on the car. But if you had a G-Wagon or you had... Yeah, no desire to own a G-Wagon. Because you're paying so much for stuff that I don't care about. Yeah, that that's all defines you as well. But I don't think by having more opportunity to not pay for things that I don't care about says less about me. <laughs> like, I don't care about the... I, I would never own a Ferrari. And so I personally wouldn't be losing out on anything if I was like, well, if I have a robot that moves my stuff around, my gear, and I don't need to own a car at all, that'd be great. I have a little secret. Nick actually bought a 
pre-distressed Subaru. <laughs> as well as acid wash Subaru. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I'm a very pragmatic utilitarian attitude towards my car. Mm-hmm. Probably abnormally so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I get that. Mm-hmm. I'm the weird one. Mm-hmm. So, but I don't think that's the car that's doing that. I think it's me that's doing it. I, I get where you're both coming from. I drive a 10-year-old Prius, and I'm kind of proud that I drive a 10-year-old Prius because I'm like, yeah, I don't give a f- but that's kind of the vibe I want. Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> but I don't need to own a car to say I don't care about what kind of car I own. Yeah, you could do it with your shirt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, this has been a fun conversation. <laughs> Are there any things that we didn't get enough time to dive into that you guys think we should cover real quickly? There are two other comments that I thought would be oh. worth addressing. Sure. Uh, one is the other direction, people who really like public transit, and they're like, why not just use buses? Why, you know, why do you need self-driving yeah. small cars? And the other is people who say Tesla's better. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think the public transit one, because I think there's a joke uh, that... which is a fair joke about Silicon Valley just keeps on reinventing things that used to be public, like utilities. (laughs) 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 And it's like, oh, great, guys, you reinvented the bus, is is this one here. But it's really hard to build public transit in America. It's so expensive. It's so expensive. There's so many just, like, laws and rules and just people don't agree about it. And that's kind of just been the way it's been for a few decades now. Yeah. And that's... Like, it sucks to be stuck in that mode. There's not a clear path out of that mode that we're in right now. We're not going to magically convince people who don't want to spend money on public transit to spend money on public transit. So if there is money and capital and innovation into something like this, like, why not do it? Right. Um, I I believe firmly in the laziness of Americans. (laughs) (laughs) That is a good bet. It's a great bet. And with a bus, say, you have to walk from your house to four blocks to the bus stop and wait, and then you take the bus and then you go somewhere and then you have to walk another three blocks. Well, you have to transfer. Yeah, and then you have to transfer and all that kind of stuff. But if you can take me end to end from my house to my destination and it costs the same amount of money, that's lazier and therefore that's gonna win. Yeah, buses will never be able to do that. You just can't coordinate these huge pieces of infrastructure to move and drop off all 60 or 80 occupants Mm -hmm. from door to door. I think that, you know, in San Francisco, we have the cable cars mm-hmm. and they're very romantic, mm-hmm. you know, and they're, they're, they're wonderful, but they're so slow. <laughs> <laughs> so there are like three cable car lines left yeah. and no one that lives in San Francisco ever takes one. That's not true. <laughs> I know some folks who've used them. I actually do. Like regularly? Yeah. Like, like people who live in Russian their, Hill would take commute. that downtown, yeah. Because it's also three times the cost. I, I understand this. Uh, but <laughs> yes. A very romantic. So if you want to be that person that's... I, I, but I'm saying, like, I know three people. <laughs> <laughs> Which is not a lot. So you're not entirely wrong. But it's not, it's not entirely true that no one uses them. Locally. Okay, I'm sorry. I meant very, very, very few people. Right. Yeah, they're mean. Did that satisfy you? Did this satisfy you, Nick? I'm just very, saying. very, very few people. That's fine. I'll allow it. <laughs> but, but to your point, 
a lot of public transportation sucks. Yeah. Uh, I, I, especially in the U.S., especially in San Francisco, mm -hmm. um, New York, going from like, oh, how far is the nearest subway stop? Pretty close. Mm -hmm. It can get you pretty close to pretty much anywhere else in the city, which is great. Um, unless you're in those outer boroughs where they haven't developed it, mm -hmm. in which case you are kind of mm -hmm. um, I went to the UK recently. I don't think I went outside from the airport to my final destination because I essentially went straight onto the subway, which took me straight onto the train, which took me straight up to Cambridge where I got on a, another thing right to my head. It was amazing. It was so end-to-end -end from basically walking into an airport in San Francisco. Once I got to the UK, public transportation really just ushered me everywhere I wanted to go. We don't have that in the US uh, for a couple of reasons. I think there's a cultural thing about it and I think there's an infrastructure thing about it. Mm -hmm. But you could have that without having to dig subway tunnels to crisscross through San Francisco or Los Angeles. You just have to do it with a much more flexible way of doing it. And these robots really do offer that. The ultimate proof of this, perhaps, is that you see this is a self-driving car that can do this. We've had self-driving trains for like 40 years. Right. right. And they're still not implemented in trains in Los Angeles that chronically have shortages of drivers, right. you know? Um, so it's like it, it shows how much faster this technology can move. Yeah. Um, and I'm hopeful that we can, you know, do a better job with infrastructure than we have and that this can, you know, these things can be complementary. But, yeah, I guess there's part of me that's also happy that we're not waiting for that. Right. And hoping for that. It's taking us better. so long to build. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, yeah, I as much as I would like it, I just don't see us getting past how difficult it is to build things now in this yeah, country. Yeah. But, you know, if Nick's friends have their cable cars, then everything's all good. <laughs> <laughs> it must be a nice way to start your day, right? <laughs> it's wonderful. Yeah. It's very romantic. I've taken the cable cars. It's great. Yeah. I don't think I've taken the, one since the trolley, Yeah, trolley systems are... It's, it's romantic in San Francisco. It's, I would not take them shits in Philadelphia. There's a <laughs> self-driving trolley, actually. Really? <laughs> <laughs> But actually, you know, I will say one. So a couple people in the comments brought up the carriage, and it's actually funny because the Zooks vehicle looks actually like an old school carriage. Yeah, for yes. sure, very much so. Yeah. Any Tesla comments? Any a Tesla lot of questions? Tesla comments. I mean, Tesla is better. Uh, some people said that I'm a Tesla fan, but I like this too. Um, you know, other people saying like everyone's talking about level five, but they're not doing it on the ground like Tesla is. You know, Tesla's farther along; they're going to win, kind of a thing. When is it a competition? Yeah. When it's part of your identity. <laughs> I right. guess, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we asked the CEO of Zooks about just this, and she's like, yeah, I want competition. Because if you don't have competition, it means that you don't really have a great idea. The fact right. that there are so many players that are trying to do this yeah. in this space and are spending so much money on it lets you know that this is a really viable industry. Right. And I drive a Tesla. I have one. We get it. <laughs> it's not a Subaru. I do not tr trust <laughs> this autonomy. Right, right. It's it's terrifying, right? Like a lot of times it works pretty well, you know, ninety five percent of the time. But that five percent of the time is pretty terrifying. When you like, I'm, it's going seventy miles an hour, and then it's supposed to break, and then you're just like. I'm still going really fast. I'm about to hit that car in front of me. Right. You know, you're like, what are you going to actually break? And I fortunately have a break. Mm -hmm. But if you don't have a break because you're in a carriage, like, what, what does that mean? Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, uh, I, I think we were filming for a different episode and we were in a Tesla and trying out some of the beta version of the autopilot stuff. And it, it 
did some interesting things yeah. with, with respect or it, it, with disrespect to the lanes on the road <laughs> um, it, that made me very dubious and nervous. And uh, yeah, I'm curious to see how well this develops. But I honestly think it can be both, not just or. Like, I hope Tesla figures this out. I hope Zooks figures it out. I hope Cruise figures it out. I hope they all figure it out. Yeah. Yes. I just don't want humans driving because humans kill so many people. I mean, raise your hand if you know someone who's died in a car accident. Right. The f***? Yeah. Like, how is that okay? And we need to seriously look at how we can fix that. So what's the meanest comment we got? Or meanest comments? Oh, let's see. I'm scrolling through now. Let's see. Commie mobile? <laughs> wow. Two word comment, short and sweet. Wow. wow. There we I go. Mean, that's not bad. Yeah. <laughs> Soul of wit is brevity. I mean, yeah. <laughs> that's fantastic. Another step to a purely lazy, independent humanity. That's the goal. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think we have a lot of steps left to that. Yeah. I, if this can dispense cheese, melted cheese into my mouth, <laughs> well, that would be great. Process cheese tube halfway through. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we've been hearing the same story for over a decade now about how close this technology is. Keep picking that can. Yes. But it's we, not, we touched it now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it doesn't just, like, happen overnight. I mean, one of the things, we, we did a lot of drafts in terms of the editing of this video, yeah. and I think one of the things that we really tried to do with this one specifically is spend a lot of time, like, showing them testing it, showing the different steps and the processes of how they're doing it, and showing that, yeah, this is iterative work. It, it's going to get better and better and better. Yeah. We could do a video with Zooks every year, and it would be slightly better. But that slightly better is going to get us to a point where you're just like, yeah. I mean, I remember when the first iPhone came out, and it was like, it was cool. Mm -hmm. And then the second iPhone came out, and it was like, okay, this is like a step change better. And now we're on the 14, and I'm like, I, I can't even tell the difference between <laughs> like, right. any of these anymore. But you're still going to wait for the new one before you upgrade. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> even though the di differences are usually so small now, and marginal is like, I'm going to wait till September and the next iPhone event before I buy a new phone. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, we're, we're making big step changes right now with this technology, and it's going to be like that for a, a while. Yeah. But, but it, yeah, it's iPhone. true that for 10 years, everyone's been saying, oh, this is five years away. And they've been saying this for more than 10 years, it feels like. And I get that skepticism, but it's happening right now. It's real. Like, you can get in them and drive around with them. They're doing autonomous rides with crews right now. Mm -hmm. These are working. Is it perfect yet? No. But it's past a threshold that's really interesting, where the Waymo cars are out and about doing it. The Cruise cars are doing it. The Zooks cars are doing it. So it's exciting. And Apple's working on something. I'm supposed to. Oh, I'm here. I'm here. We're told. But they're so secretive, it's hard to tell where they're at. But it's exciting, too. All of it. Once it gets to a point where it's like, this is 10% of the traffic in a city or something like that, where this is like a thing that's integrated into mainstream life. Yes. I think that's going to be a real eye-opener. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I see terrorist attacks. Hacking one like Russia did our U.S. drones in, I believe, 2017. They then stuff one with a dirty bomb, and that's that. 
But I'll be the first to admit AI is making me paranoid. I'm not so much worried about AI becoming self-aware, but or other supercomputers being able to take advantage of human limitations for another human of murderous intent. It's a worst-case scenario, but imagine an advanced AI computer in control of a fleet of autonomous vehicles in a city. It kind of misses you, Mitch, miss the five-inch floppy disk. Now you have to have a better computer than the other guy just to keep your phone from being hacked. Who can guarantee that won't happen? Is, I'm sorry, is he pitching us a screenplay? Yeah. <laughs> it's like Tom Clancy over So I get this, this guy's mimeographed newsletter yeah. every week. It's, it's great. Um, the thing I, I think is really interesting about this, I hear the hacking attack uh, like critique of autonomous cars all the time. It's important to say this also applies to non-autonomous yeah, cars. Yeah, yeah, your car can get hacked right now. Your Lots car is cars. currently... Like five years ago about right. people yeah, who were did, hacking Yeah, we cars. did this, this, this for a coded episode for season two. People who right. are hacking cars. Your car is a computer already. Yeah, this is not just autonomous cars. Yeah, to, to the point where they're... It's also airplanes. Yeah. It's also the air traffic control system. It's also the utilities system yeah. in mm -hmm. our grid. Like... Nobody thinks this is unimportant. Yeah. Everyone who's building mission-critical things doesn't want hacking. Mm -hmm. We didn't forget. Yeah. But it's nice to know other people are still excited about making sure things are secure. Yeah. Yes. If you want to understand the ways in which different things can be hacked, you should look at the social engineering events at a conference like DEF CON, and they do a lot of, like, how do you hack this type of car and this type of car and the, or your garage door and things like that. Uh, they can already hack into stuff. Thanks, everyone, for checking out this episode of the Hard Reset Podcast. Please make sure you like and subscribe and leave a comment below if there's something that we missed or an idea that you have that you'd like to hear more about. Please make sure that you uh, check out our next podcast, and uh, we'll look forward to sharing more of these episodes with you soon.